Hello, and thank you for joining us for the Hatchbend Apostolic Church web broadcast. In our society today, some, and yes, sadly, maybe even most, question the value of preaching in their lives. But we still believe what Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. In essence, Paul preached that God has chosen the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. And so that's why we still place such a high value on the preached word of God in agreement to the scripture. And so now I'd like to thank you again for joining us for a message from the pulpit of Hatchbend Apostolic Church. Good morning, everyone, and praise the Lord. Isn't it good to be in the house of the Lord this morning? Happy Father's Day to all you fathers. I hear the struggle is real. God bless you. You may be seated this morning. And while you're finding your seats, go with me to the book of Matthew, chapter 18. The book of Matthew, chapter 18. I wish that I could tell you this morning that what Sister Chelsea just shared with us, we could close the book and go in the back and eat donuts or something. But I'm going to have to talk to you for about the next 35 minutes about forgiveness. That's all right. Sit down. And that's just about how this is going to be. Because for me, not that I have trouble forgiving, but this is the hardest subject in the Bible to teach is forgiveness. Because sometimes people can do things to us it will get stuck in our spirit, and if we're not careful, it can be the very demise of our salvation. And we're going to learn today that if you do not forgive, heaven will not be your home. We, you will not, and this comes from the, the man himself, Jesus, we have to have a spirit of forgiveness. Uh, book of Matthew chapter 18 and we'll begin reading with verse 21. I'll refer to a lot of scripture today. They may not all be on the screen, but uh, they will all essentially come out of this same chapter, the book of Matthew chapter 18. But beginning with verse 21, Then came Peter to him and said, Lord, how oft shall my brother sin against me, and I forgive him? Till seven times? And Jesus saith unto him, I say not unto thee until seven times, but until seventy times seven. Now that's a, a bold statement there, and it rolls easy off the tongue. But essentially, I don't think Jesus was using the number seventy times seven, but I believe he was saying always forgive. As much as it takes, as long as it takes, Always forgive. And the truth about God is that he requires us to forgive others. And the truth about my life is, is that I must forgive others. You must forgive others as Jesus has, has forgiven you and I. You know, how would you describe forgiveness to someone who has never heard it? Sister Chelsea read of one definition, but I found another that says to grant pardon for or remission of an offense, a debt to absolve, to pardon an offense or an offender. Forgiveness is not about excusing what someone did. 
It's not about saying that's okay. Psychologists generally define forgiveness as a conscious, deliberate feeling of resentment or vengeance toward a person or a group who has harmed you, regardless of whether they actually deserve your forgiveness. Forgiveness actually embodies three different things, each of which applies to different situations and provides different results. These three things are exoneration, forbearance, and release. It has been said that there are four R's to forgiveness. First, being responsibility. Accept what has happened and show yourself compassionate. Second is remorse. Use guilt and remorse as a gateway to positive behavior change. Thirdly is restoration. Make amends with whomever you're forgiven, even if it's yourself. And fourth and final is renewal. Learn from the experience and grow as a person and as a child of God. The key to forgiveness involves letting go of hurt feelings, not, not holding on to a grudge and taking steps to reestablish a sense of intimacy and closeness. And given the central role that forgiveness plays in our close relationship, it should come as no surprise that scholars have spent decades studying the issue of forgiveness. But this morning, we're going to spend a little time learning from the ultimate scholar, and that's Jesus Christ and what he says about forgiveness. New York City at Christmas time is breathtaking. When a couple by the name of Ryan and Ashley flew there from Florida to spend three days in Manhattan, it was beautiful and busy. One of their friends drove them around town, and traffic was so tightly packed, they felt they could reach out of the window and open the glove compartment of the car beside them. Yellow cabs with silver bumpers were everywhere. The bumpers used to be yellow, but it's not really a good day for a cabbie in New York unless they've traded paint with someone. One of the highlights of that trip was a little shopping trip into Chinatown, and there was a particular baseball cap that Ryan was wanting, but he did not want to pay the full price. Chinatown was famous for bargaining, but Ryan wasn't exactly the bargaining kind of guy, and I can relate to Ryan. I seemed to always come out on the short end of the deal. I couldn't, I couldn't sell ice to someone in the desert who was dying of thirst. But his friend, however, coached him on how to get the best price. He said, they'll sell for high, but you offer low. They'll say no, and then you walk out. And he'll come out and chase you, and then you can meet in the middle with him. And that's how this game is played. So Ryan, give it a shot. He walked into the shop, saw the baseball cap on the shelf, and asked how much for that Atlanta Braves hat. The owner said, 20 bucks. He said, will you take 15? The owner said, $20. He said, sold. <laughs> Maybe next time Ryan can bargain a little better. But everyone, everyone wants to pay as little as possible to get as much as possible. Peter was no better at that game than Ryan. Peter walked into the store. If you'll indulge me just for a minute, Peter walked into the store and saw Jesus standing behind the counter. And there was mercy on every shelf, on the counter, on the racks, in the windows. Everywhere you looked was mercy in the house of Jesus. He knew how much Jesus valued mercy. So rather than insult Jesus by asking to pay less for it, in his mind, he offered Jesus the above asking price. You see, the rabbis down the street were selling the same mercy for $3 a day. They taught if a brother sins against you, 
God calls you to forgive them three times. And after that, you're off the hook. But Peter knew Jesus was far more merciful than most, and he was more merciful than anyone, in fact. And Peter opened up his wallet, and he pulled out three bills, then three more, and one more for good measure, seven. And he offered Jesus well above the asking price. Peter said, Jesus, if my brother sins against me, how many times should I forgive him? Up to seven times? You want me to be merciful, Jesus? I can do that. I can forgive a man seven times. And seven times seemed mighty merciful to Peter, especially since the going rate down the street was three times. And Jesus took a glance at mercy all throughout this shop and replied, not seven, Peter, 70 times seven. And then Jesus proceeds to tell us this story that we begin reading this morning. And he began in Matthew 18 and 23. He said, Therefore is the kingdom of heaven likened unto a certain king which would take account of his servants. The king decided to review the accounting books to see who owed him money and how much they owed. And it is when his, then it was up to his collection department to demand payment for all his debts. And I'm, I can assure you in those days it was not like today. You would not receive a phone call from someone who can barely speak English to tell you what you didn't pay or what you didn't um, repay back. That accounting audit revealed a debtor who, had, who owed this particular king 10,000 talents. Now, a talent is a measure of weight of silver or gold, and we do not know exactly how much 10,000 talents might be in today's economy, but some economists estimate that it would be in the millions of dollars almost unpayable for this man. It would be unpayable for this particular man. The amount the debtor owed was so great, he would never be able to pay the debt that he owed. Jesus and his audience knew what that meant for this man and his family, but 18 and 25 of the book of Matthew says, but for as much as he had not to pay, his Lord commanded him to be sold and his wife and children and all that he had in payment to be made. So since the servant could not pay, the king had sentenced him and his family to slavery and demanded that all their possessions be sold and the proceeds would be given to the king. But unfortunately, that didn't even come close to paying the full debt. Slaves at a top price were sometimes sold for a talent each, but usually they were sold for a tenth of a talent. But this king had compassion. And one last plea for mercy... This king, this indebted servant fell to his knees and begged one more time. And that really made no sense. All the time in his lifetime, if the king would have granted him the rest of his life, he still would not be able to pay this debt back. But Jesus' story took a surprise and turn. In verse 27, he said, Then the Lord of that servant was moved with compassion and loosed him and forgave him his debt. And just like that, the debt was gone. The king did not mock him, but he forgave him, and he felt compassion for this man. And he didn't just lower the debt, he forgave it. He completely exonerated. I couldn't even begin to imagine the joy that this servant must have felt. This, this debt that had weighed so heavy on him was gone. Now he and his family were safe, and his property was secure, and, and they were saved in essence. All thanks to the king. I could never receive a greater gift than what you have gave me, the servant said. What joy, what rejoicing. I wonder how we 
would respond if we had been forgiven a debt that we could not pay. I can remember when Jenny and I first got married, uh, we didn't have two pennies to rub together. Probably had no business getting married, but we believed you could live on love. And and we did for a while, but uh, we were trying to find a home, and I just couldn't bring myself to pull one of them mobile homes off the lot for what they was asking for. So a good friend of mine had one for sale. He was building a home. So I marched down to the bank, sat up there in the desk and began to ask the loan officer for a loan. And they went to asking for all sorts of things that I didn't have. And he just shook his head at me and said, Jerry, much as I'd like to, there's no way I can. So my grandfather had heard of this, perhaps through my grandmother and one evening, Jenny and I were over there visiting with them, and he said, I'll loan you the money for that house you want. I said, Grandpa, I can't do that. I can't, I can't borrow money from you. He said, oh, yeah, you can. A few days later, I come in, and he has this contract that his CPA had drawn up. <laughs> Itemized lines of every month when the payment was due, and whatever the interest rate was back then was applied to it. And... Uh, and he, he loaned us the money. And I'll never forget the day I'd borrowed $12,000 for him. I know everybody's wondering what I paid for a home back then. It was $12,000. I borrowed $12,000 for him. And on that day that I walked in and gave him a check, that particular check equaled up to the $12,000. He had a little office in the back of the house there. And he went back there and put his, the check back there and come back out. And he said, that's it. We're done. I said, Grandpa, I still have such and such payments left. The interest hasn't been paid. He said, we're done. He said, you never missed a payment. You was always on time, most of the time ahead of time, and I just wanted to teach you what it's like to have a responsibility and have to make payments. And it was, for her and I, it was just a, a gift because it was such a big deal to us having nothing to not have to pay something back. And that's the way God is. He will forgive our debts. And this, this story that we read is just a snapshot of the mercy of God when he forgives all our sins. Our sins are like a debt that we owe God. And our debt of sin is so huge, there's no possible way to repay it. I could never repay him for all the sin I've done. And because we can't pay we would face great punishment, but God in His compassion forgives us when we come to Him and acknowledge Him and, that, and acknowledge that we have no way to pay Him back. Thank God He forgives the debt that we could never, ever pay. This story gives us an insight into how great our sins are from God's point of view. Many of us think ourselves as pretty good. We may be and we may be from our limited human perspective. We think we're better than most people in the world. We might not be great saints, but we're not great sinners. We tend to minimize our own sin by thinking, well, it's not really that bad. We have no idea the number of times we have failed God in His Word. If we could sit down today after this service and count how many times we have failed God while serving Him, it would shock most of us of how many times we have fell short. And no matter how we feel about our sins, God is pure, He's sinless, 
and he's holy. And we're like poor servants, like this poor servant, owing a debt of 10,000 talents that we cannot pay. And our only hope is for our king to have compassion on us and to announce, I forgive you your debt and you owe me nothing. The penalty for our unpaid sin is eternal death and separation from God and hell. And all we can do is bow our knees to Jesus and plead for mercy. And when we do, we are sure to find him gracious and good and ready to forgive. I want you to think about that for a minute. If not for Jesus Christ and his mercy and grace, there would be no chance for an eternity in heaven. It would be hell. No other choice, no other option. After this life and what a reward after living this life to have to spend an eternity in hell. I was spent some time with my dear, very probably my best friend uh, a few days, and they had a particular friend, a young lady that had uh, grew up a very, very troubled childhood. And uh, she was cl- close to 30 now, I would say. And uh, she asked if she could talk to me to the side for a few minutes. And she had uh, asked for forgiveness. She was trying to turn her life around. And she said she had begged and pleaded with God to forgive her for all that she had done wrong. But she said that she could not sleep at night. Some night she would wake up and her chest would hurt. And she would cry because she just didn't know if she was forgiven. And I said, well, I can assure you, if you've obeyed uh, the commandments that God has given us, if you've asked for forgiveness, he's cast them as far as the east is from the west. I said, what you're dealing with is you're dealing with an enemy trying to convince you that you're not good enough to be forgiven. And the first thing you've got to realize is nobody's good enough to be forgiven. But thank God for His mercy and His grace that He forgives us. And that's what the cross is all about. That's what the cross is all about. Jesus paying a debt that we could never pay. Imagine just for a minute. Now I know as men we all say that we would die to protect our family. And and I believe that most sincerely would. Some intruder come into your home and it meant your life of your or your wife or children's life. I'm I'm sure that the, the men I see in here would definitely defend till death. But I want you to imagine for a minute that if you died, you had to pay an awful, awful penalty of death, not just to be hung on a cross, but what Jesus went through before he even got to the cross. And if you had to endure that for people that you knew, the Word says he knows the end from the beginning. So you pay a debt like that for people that you know would never come to you, follow you, and yet still choose to do that. I I can't imagine what it would be like to have to die for somebody that I know would never thank me, that would never even acknowledge it. I wonder why some see their sins as small, but others as great. You know, we Pentecostals, And please don't get your feelings hurt here, but we Pentecostals are good at classifying sins. I wonder how God sees our sin compared to other sins. And this is just my opinion. It's it's not in the book, but I wonder what God is going to say to those who have judged others. 
some that perhaps have been on their job or even come into to this church, what God is going to say on judgment day when he looks at us and saying, you judge them for the way they were dressed, the way they looked, what they said. You called them sinner, but yet you thought nothing of telling a lie. You, you thought nothing of tearing down your brother or sister with gossip. You thought nothing of not keeping my commandments in living to what my word says. The king's servant here was ungrateful. We're going to learn in this story as we go forward, and it takes a surprising and an unpleasant turn. Our friend who was just forgiven of his unpayable debt, the Bible says, went out and found one of his fellow servants, which owed him a hundred pence, and he laid hands on him and took him by the throat, saying, Pay me that thou owest. He ran out of the throne room and sought out a man who owed him a debt. He had just been forgiven all. And he runs and grabs somebody by the throat, demanding that they pay him back. This second debtor in Jesus' parable only owed his friend a hundred pence, which would take back then would take about three months to pay back. To put into perspective, the first servant owed in the millions. This second service that the second servant that he is choking to death owes about $5.50 in today's time. And he had just been forgiven that debt in millions. I, I can't even begin to, to fathom that. This is a debt that was payable. It was pennies compared to the millions that the first servant owed the king. And the second servant responded just like the first. Scripture tells us in chapter 18 and verse 29, And his fellow servant fell down at his feet and besought him, saying, Have patience with me, and I will pay thee all. But this servant refused to forgive. And here is the unpleasant turn that I spoke of. No matter how merciful the king had been to the first servant, his heart was unmoved by his fellow servant's plea for mercy. He had just come from being given the most precious gift he had ever been given in his life, and he couldn't even find it in himself to forgive this man of such a small debt. He had him thrown into prison until he could pay the debt. And he would remain in prison until his family or his friends could gather the amount of money that they owed him or until the prisoner could work this debt off. It's kind of shocking behavior. It certainly wouldn't remain unhidden. As we know, some of the king's other servants witnessed this ungrateful act and told the king everything they had seen. Doubtless these other servants heard of the extraordinary kindness or perhaps they had even been there to see it. So when they saw how cruelly he treated this other servant, they could not believe the hypocrisy and the ingratitude. How, how could he possibly act that way after all he had been forgiven? And I'll back up and to say this, how sometimes can we possibly act towards others when they come into this house Seeking healing, seeking forgiveness. All that we have been forgiven, all that we have done, and God so graciously forgive us. And we think that we have the right to judge someone when they walk into the house seeking the same thing we do. It would be devastating to feel what this second servant felt. And what if you were the other servants witnessing this? What, what would you do? Would you run tell the king what would happen or would you keep it to yourself? 
But when that king learned what the first servant had done, the king was furious. Chapter, uh, verse 18 and, uh, chapter 18 and verse 32 reads, Then his Lord, after that he had called him, said unto him, O thou wicked servant, I forgave thee all that debt because thou desiredest me. Shouldest not thou also have had compassion on thy fellow servant, even as I had pity on thee? And his Lord was wroth and delivered him to the tormentors till he should pay all that was due unto him. This king had summoned this servant back to the throne room and, and basically called him wicked. This, this forgiven servant failed to show the same kind of mercy to someone else that he had just recently received. And the, the king said, you're going to be treated. You should have treated him as I treated you. You should have had mercy. But because this servant refused to be merciful, he disqualified himself from receiving mercy. And this unpayable debt was his to pay. And I wonder sometimes how much we perhaps have cheated ourselves out of, of what God would want to do for us or give to us or take us to a certain place or a position. But because of our unforgiving, our, un our unwillingness to forgive someone, and then God can't use us because of the bitterness in our heart. The first servant was thrown into prison himself until he could pay all his debt. But everyone knew that he would die in prison because there was no possible way. There was not enough time in his lifetime to pay this debt back. And I, I ask myself and I ask you, do you feel this response by the king was just? I, I do. I know it was harsh, but... But I do, and I, I believe that Jesus responds the same way when we don't forgive. He, he may not place us in a literal prison, but our spirit finds itself in an awful, awful position. And in case we miss the point of this powerful story, Jesus made it very plain in Matthew 18 and 35. So likewise shall my heavenly Father do also unto you, if ye from, the, from your hearts forgive not everyone his brother their trespasses. A forgiving God requires us to forgive others. I, I must forgive. You must forgive. Why? Because the debt that we owe to God is infinitely greater compared to any debt a person could owe us. I, I, I don't discount if you're in this house today and been done wrong, please don't take this comment as saying that it ain't what you think it is because there are some deep wounds and some deep hurts. But I assure you, whatever's been done to you can't even begin to compare what God has done for us when he forgives us of our sins. In most cases, if we're not willing to forgive, it's ourselves that we're hurting. It causes bitterness, envy, strife, and hate. And then that in turn disrupts our spirit and we find ourselves irritable. Perhaps you have trouble sleeping and all sorts of feelings and emotions you find yourself in. However, <laughs> the one you hurt that you, that you want to forgive but you can't, most of the time they're just strolling along through their days without a care in the world. And here I am tormenting myself, can't sleep, can't eat. So when you and I do not forgive, we only hurt ourselves, not just emotionally, but we find in these verses we do damage spiritually. And in the end, if we do not forgive, heaven will not be our home. And I'm in the book. 
Whether people want to believe that or not, and I'll show you in just a minute. If God was willing to forgive us of our unpayable debt, we must be willing to forgive others of smaller debts. And if we refuse to forgive, not just struggle, but if we refuse to forgive, because I believe everybody at some point in their life has struggled to forgive. It's just part of our makeup and our humanity. But Jesus explicitly taught that God will not forgive us if we don't forgive. In the book of Matthew chapter 6 and verse 12, he said, And forgive us our debts. This is the, the prayer that he taught us. And forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. For if you forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. And remember when I said I'm in the book, so here it goes. But if ye forgive not men their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. So I think this cut, cleared, and dried, as one might say, it's in black and white. If we do not forgive, we will not be forgiven. Jesus is calling us to forgive or else we won't be forgiven. He's calling us to always be willing to forgive. And remember that Jesus here was just simply answering Peter's question about how often we are to forgive others. In Matthew 18 and 22, he said, I say not unto thee until seven times, but until 70 times seven. Now, I told you in opening this morning that this is a very difficult teaching. Hadn't been any amens. I, Ain't nobody had to sit down from being out of breath of running around and shouting this morning. and Even Brother Fears hadn't been up on his feet. But I know it's tough. This is difficult. This is an unpopular subject. You know, this is like uh, having to talk to your kids about certain subjects you don't want to. This, this is no fun to talk about. I don't know which is, which is worse, talking about forgiveness or talking about money. So I'll let Pastor handle the money part. And we might have difficulty with Jesus' teaching on forgiveness in this story because we don't believe our sins against God could be such a huge unpayable debt. I'll say that again. We don't believe that our sins or our debt is really that huge or unpayable. And I'm not casting stones at anyone here because I live in a glass house but I, I, I know without a shadow of a doubt, if it was not for God, there's no way, no way I could ever repay the debt. And I know for sure where I would spend an eternity. As far as we know, we haven't really hurt someone else or haven't been wicked towards someone. So we can't believe our sins against God are quite as bad as someone's sins against us. But in this story, Jesus was showing us how God views this situation. Our being born in sin and the cumulative sins we have committed against him by breaking his law are greater, far greater than someone's sin against us. If God forgave us, we must forgive others. Otherwise, we disqualify ourselves from being forgiven by God. And I know I have said that several times here today and been repetitive with that. But if you don't hear anything I say today, I want you to hear that. If we must forgive others or else we will not be forgiven. And there are certainly benefits that come to us when we forgive others. Studies have revealed some of the benefits of forgiveness improve mental health, less anxiety and stress, lower blood pressure, fewer issues with depression and so forth. 
I see a list. I could handle all that list. I need lower blood pressure. I need help with anxiety. And all you got to do is just forgive. See how easy that is? Wouldn't even need to go to the doctor if you just forgive somebody. It's good to know and experience these benefits. But these potential benefits are not why Jesus commanded us to forgive. When he told Peter with this, he wasn't concerned about anxiety or depression. He wasn't concerned about blood cholesterol, blood pressure, high cholesterol. But he commanded us to forgive because he has forgiven. And that is the right reason for forgiveness. No more, no less. I'm sure that all of us in this house who have forgiven someone have felt these benefits at some time. I have, and it feels so much better. Many, many years ago, I was in a situation where I needed to forgive someone. And I couldn't for a long time. And there were all sorts of emotion. And uh, I only hurt myself. And all the things that I spoke of earlier, I couldn't sleep at night. I, I would wake up and just my mind was rattled. But when I chose to forgive them, it was like a big elephant that had been taken off my chest. Now, did it happen overnight? No. But the power of forgiveness will give us the strength to, to forgive someone. And again, this teaching is hard. Depending on the situation, it may be extremely hard. But forgiving someone does not mean that what the person did was okay. And that's what we have to get out of our mind. We think by saying, I forgive you, then we're saying, well, it's okay what you've done for me. And that, that's, not, that's not so at all. And in an extreme situation such as abuse, we know that it's important to consult the proper authorities. But the, the Lord is calling us to forgive, to release debt, and put the person in His hands. You may not be able to imagine how you could forgive a particular person, but if you commit to forgive, I assure you God will help you through His Spirit to forgive. He will strengthen you in the journey of forgiveness until it is finished because, again, it's not an overnight process. Forgiving is not pretending the wrong did not happen. Neither is forgiving allowing someone to continually, willfully, and maliciously harm us. But forgiveness is an act of the will. It happens when we decide to cancel someone's debt, which means we will not hold the wrong over that person. We're not going to throw it up in their face at the next family reunion. We're not going to throw it up and bring it up again when we're back there eating with our friends at a table and they're sitting across the room. It's about actively seeking to forgive them, not to punish them in return. When we forgive, we decide that we will not retaliate or repay someone for what he or she has done. And in doing this, we make space for God to avenge if he thinks he needs to avenge. Because in his word in Romans 12 and 19, he said, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, saith the Lord. So forgiveness, hear this, forgiveness gives God permission to fight our battles. But now that does not mean that we have the right to tell the individual, if Brother Everett uh, offends me or hurts me, I can't go to him and say, God will get you. Just wait and see. That's, that's not what the scripture is referring here to. Let's not think of forgiveness as a feeling, especially at first. It's, it's deeper 
than ceasing to feel angry or resentful or hurt. And as I've already stated, it will take a long time before we can feel that way. Think of forgiveness as a commitment to act or not to act. How many people like to go on a diet and lose weight? I got one, Brother Williams in the back. Great day. The tuna fish king. Dieting or, or trying to do better with uh, your physical shape or whether you're working out takes a commitment. You have to be all in or it will not work. And that's the way we have to think of forgiveness. It is a commitment. You've got to be committed to this. And over time, not overnight, but over time, God will change our feelings and they will soften and it won't sting quite as much. And it, it's going to take a long time, perhaps years. But God can work on our hearts as we seek to obey Him. And He will heal our hearts. And we will be able to think of that person who hurt us without feeling hatred, anger, or bitterness. The sting will be gone. I want you to think in your mind right now of someone who hurts you deeply and you forgive them. How much better did it feel when you finally got that out of your spirit? Choosing to forgive takes a moment, just, just a moment. But the process of forgiveness takes a time, a long time. And we, we can know when the process is complete. We have fully forgiven when we no longer tell our story as the victim trying to get people to sympathize with us and to turn against the person who hurt us. If you find yourself in a group of people and you're talking about the, the hurt that they caused you or you're trying to turn them against that individual because they hurt you, well, then you haven't forgiven them. You need to go back to the altar and ask God to help you with that again. And further, we know we have forgiven when we no longer get pleasure or satisfaction when we hear something negative has happened to that person. If brother ever hurt me, and then uh, next week he cuts off his finger, cuts off another finger, <laughs> and I take joy in that, that that's, I haven't forgiven him. I, I haven't forgiven him. I rebuke that happening, Brother Everett. You're not going to have an accident. But forgiveness is not an option. If you've been hurt, forgive. Don't wait until the person comes to you seeking to make everything right because that may never happen. You remember way back in the beginning of this when I said it's we that hurt ourselves, the person that offended you, they just strolling through life. They may not ever come to apologize to you because they don't think they've done anything. I'm going to ask you to stand with me this morning. Our Lord commanded us to freely forgive. Forgive without limits. The one who forgave our unpayable debt calls us to forgive the debt that others owe us. And he stands ready to empower us and bless us as we seek to obey him by forgiving others. We've been talking for the last 35 minutes about the power of forgiveness and it's an incredible thing when we possess that power to forgive someone. Would you pray with me in closing this morning? Father, we have studied your word this morning and what it means to forgive. And I'm asking you to help us, not only as a congregation, but as individuals to have a forgiven spirit. When I struggle, I'm asking you to make me strong. I'm asking you to help me when I have 
a situation where I seem like it's impossible for me to forgive. I know through your word and through your power and through your spirit, I can possess the power of forgiveness, Lord. And that's what I strive for today. And I'm confident, Lord, that you will help me in that. And I thank you for that, Jesus. In the name of Jesus, we pray. And the whole house said, Amen. This message has been brought to you today by the media ministry of Hatchbend Apostolic Church. We pray that it's ministered to you in some way, and we'd like to take this opportunity to invite you to join us in service here at Hatchbend Apostolic. Our Sunday services begin at 10 a.m. and our Wednesday night service at 7.30 p.m. For any more information or to speak with our ministry staff, please feel free to call our church office at 386-935-2806 or you can visit the contact link here on our website. Again, thank you for listening and we pray God's richest blessings on you and your family.